Hey, everybody. Good morning and welcome to This Week on Point North. I'm Alistair Stevens. We're going to spend the next 15 minutes discussing what to expect from Point North Media in the upcoming week, which is actually there's a lot of really interesting discussions awaiting us over the course of the next seven days with some minor rescheduling we'll talk about that in just a moment and then well we're going to talk about a couple of other things too before we get to all of that though a quick announcement because apparently you guys would really like there to be a podcast version of this week in point north which i understand i suppose on an intellectual level and yet didn't really think would would be a popular choice so starting next week i should say that the uh the this week on point north video broadcasts that i do every monday are going to be turned into audio podcasts there's going to be a feed it's going to be in itunes the whole thing will be set up and ready to go i'm going to backfill all of the episodes to date just for the sense of completeness, if nothing else. So there'll be a link available in the show notes starting next week. That's pretty exciting. I know a lot of you were uh, looking for audio versions of this little introductory commentary that I give to every week. So that's coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Let's very quickly talk about our uh, our schedule for this week. Tomorrow evening at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, we're going to have our latest episode of Dear Mr. Potter, entitled Truth and Lies, in which we meet a new contender, a new serious contender for worst person in the wizarding world. You can imagine all of the capital letters initializing all of those words in that phrase. Rita Skeeter is just abominable, and we're going to discuss her scoop in chapters 24 and 25 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Rita Skeeter's scoop and the egg and the eye. Harry's going to take a bath in the following chapter. It's going to be a really fun discussion. And we get to revisit uh, Moaning Myrtle, a character that we haven't seen in quite some time. A strong, a strong reading this week for Harry Potter as we approach our second task there at the Triwizard Tournament. Then on Friday, not our usual Thursday slot, but rather a Friday slot this week for there and back again. That is... uh, Let me see here. Friday, March 30th, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. There and back again, 56, The King of the Dead, in which we look at the second chapter of Book 5 of The Lord of the Rings, The Passing of the Grey Company, in which Aragorn is magnificent. This is one of my favorite chapters in all of The Return of the King. We get a genuinely brilliant interaction between Aragorn and... uh, and, uh, Eowyn, which I can't wait to talk about. It's beautifully constructed. It's sensitive and thoughtful and and oddly playful in its way, but also heartbreaking and tragic. And then, of course, we embark upon our journey through the Paths of the Dead after we transition back to to Aragorn from Minas Tirith in last week's discussion. That's going to be a ton of fun, too. Then, of course, on Sunday, bumped from its regular Friday slot, its semi-regular Friday slot, I guess the last two patron-exclusive book clubs have also taken place on Sunday evenings. On Sunday, that is April 1st, that is Easter Sunday, so... You guys may not be able to make it out to that. I completely understand if you can't make it out to that. But on April 1st, that is uh, this coming Sunday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, we are going to talk about the third part of Good Omens, basically bringing us up to the midpoint of the book. I think that's our plan, is to get through to uh, to get through to the beginning of the section entitled Saturday, which occupies most of the back of, of the Good Omens novel. I'm really enjoying those discussions. I'm really loving the book club discussions. I've been thinking a lot about what the book club discussions are over the course of the last couple of weeks and just really enjoying that format and that that tone, I suppose, that mode of interaction with you all. It's, it's a lovely thing. So if you are a supporter of Point North Media over on Patreon, via Coffee, via PayPal, if you support Point North Media in some way, then you'll have access to that Point North exclusive, uh, that, that patron-exclusive book club discussion, I should say, and all of the previous book club discussions too. There is a little bit of overhead there in terms of my correspondence, in terms of email. I know that there are a few people who have pledged their support who don't yet have access to that stuff. It's coming. I'm so sorry that I'm, I'm horribly behind with email again. There's 
just so much of it and trying to wade through it all. I do read everything that comes in to the best of my the best of my skills and abilities, but getting back to you all does take a little bit of time. But I'm hoping that with a little uh, a little breathing room right in the middle of this week, I'll be able to make good on that. So that's what we can expect this coming week. Let me see here. Um, Oh, Angela's pointing out to referencing the uh, the Good Omens uh, book club discussion from last night. Angela's saying, Harry can read Pratchett while he's in the bath, which according to Alistair last night is the best bath time reading material. Not necessarily the best, best bath time reading material. I'm sure that other people have other books that they love to read in the tub too. But for me, throughout the course of my entire life, yeah, I've probably read more Pratchett in the bath than any other author. It's a... Uh, it's a real comfort uh, to me to read Pratchett now. Having read all of his Discworld novels multiple times, I will go back to my favorites and just just read them in the way that you listen to old albums, for example, or the way that you watch an old movie. Not necessarily an aged movie, but a movie that was beloved in your youth that just feels comforting. A movie that you know so well that you've internalized all of the beats and the rhythms of that story. I can go back and read Guards, Guards for the 20th time or masquerade for the 20th time and and just sink into Pratchett's brilliant luminous world his his brilliant secondary creation there of the disc world um Valerie's saying for me water and books don't mix I felt the same way for the longest time Valerie and I'm going to give you my secret here books for me are supposed to be temporary right there are we were talking about this a little bit last night in the good omens uh, book club discussion too i suppose that there are certain authors and certainly certain editions that you want to keep inviolate that you want to preserve, that these are books which are artifacts as much as they are means of communicating a story to the reader. And then there are books which are themselves more disposable, more interactable, I suppose, books which will wear the uh, the the burden of being read with more grace and, and will ultimately, of course, fall into the bathtub or have wine spilled upon them or just be dog-eared and underlined and scrolled with marginalia until they basically fall apart. Yeah, I kind of have that interactive relationship with many of the uh, the mass market paperbacks that I've bought over the course of the years. And the Pratchett books all came out in mass market paperback for me. That was my experience of reading those books. So yeah, that's um, that's pretty much where I am. Though I have to admit, of late, my real bath time pleasure when I take the time to take a bath, which is not terribly frequently, I must admit, I, I'm usually uh, looking at the clock and <laughs> jumping into the shower instead. But when I take the time to take a bath, it's usually an audiobook or a podcast that's accompanying me these days, just because... Well, that's one less thing to worry about, isn't it? And audiobooks are very, very good for that. Yes. Um, Karen saying, oh my God, I can't imagine not reading in the bathtub. That's how I spent most of my adolescence. Yes. And Red Five saying, plenty of coffee stains on my books. Yes. Angela saying, though, that she is too precious with her books. I completely understand that. I really, really do. Um, a couple of quick recommendations before we, uh, before we wrap up today's session. And the first, is, well, no, okay. Let's talk about the lighter recommendation first, and then I'll go into talking a little bit about Star Trek. How about that? Would that just be a nice change of pace for everyone? A quick recommendation first for the Netflix original series, Love, which has just released its third season. This is a kind of a, a heightened slice of life romantic drama comedy series that has been produced by Netflix over the course of the last few years. As I say, the third season just dropped. I think all three seasons are 10 episodes apiece. This stars Paul Rust and Gillian Jacobs, who you probably know from Community, produced by uh, Judd Apatow, and absolutely has that Judd Apatow stamp on it, right? The texture of the piece is very, very, very consistent with what we expect from Judd Apatow. But there is a there is a profound humanity underlying love, which I actually adore. I bounced hard off the first season when I watched it first the year before last, I suppose. Not quite when it came out, but a few months after it came out. I tried to watch it and just was not engaged by it. It has some of that awkwardness, some of that cringe comedy, some of that 
awful suspension of social discomfort that I associate with shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm that I just I, I just can't watch. I just I don't have it in me to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, you guys. But love manages to anchor a lot of that social discomfort and social awkwardness in moments of real and deliberate and intentional connection between characters. The recurring beat in love is characters choosing in a specific moment for specific reasons to be better and characters failing to choose in specific moments for specific reasons to be better. And that gives it an enormous and, and really quite beautiful fragility. The third season is not my favorite, I have to say. I think the second season delivers more of what I want from the show. The third season is a little more heightened, and of course, because we've now introduced this huge expanded cast of characters, we have all of these minor subplots playing out, but we do get to spend more time with the brilliant Claudia O'Doherty, who is just fantastic. If you've uh, listened to the Comedy Bang Bang podcast uh, from Scott Ackerman over at Earwolf, then you'll know Claudia O'Doherty because she shows up, I don't know, two or three times a year and is just a constant delight, a constant ray of sunshine on that show, and indeed in the world. She's magnificent in love. I think it is Gillian Jacobs' best performance. I think that she's extraordinary. Paul Rust manages to bring a oh, a really deceptive and, and treacherous kind of charm to his role of Gus. Um, so not an unqualified recommendation. And if you're not into that kind of social discomfort comedy, then it probably isn't for you. But I'm not into that social discomfort comedy. And yet love wins me over despite that. So I recommend it. Check it out on Netflix. Maybe give it two episodes. The first episode is very, very introductory. These are just half-hour episodes, too, so it's a, it's a fast watch, which is always a lovely thing. Um, the first episode is very introductory and doesn't quite feel like the show that it is ultimately going to be. The second episode really manages that transition rather well and, and brings us into the world of this, this combative and difficult and fractured relationship between two combative and difficult and fractured people, Gus and Mickey. So I highly recommend checking that out. It's, it's really quite lovely. It's really quite, quite good. And if you're interested in a kind of gentle and, and semi-affectionate, kind of pseudo-affectionate parody of the television industry. There's also elements of that, too, particularly in the second season. We really start to ramp that up. It's a, it's a, it's a nice show available now on Netflix. That is Love, starring uh, Paul Rust and Gillian Jacobs. My other recommendation... Well, it's kind of a two-part recommendation, actually. Uh, go watch Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery is really good. I just finished watching it. I had a difficult relationship with that show when it was initially airing because I wasn't, I, I simply wasn't secure, right? I wasn't sure about the promise that this show was making me. I wasn't sure about the direction this show was going. I was blown away by the first episode in this new series, Star Trek Discovery. This is the CBS formerly streaming exclusive, although I guess it's available on Netflix in other uh, in other parts of the world and, and available through other means now, I'm sure. It may even be on Hulu or something like that right now, but you can find it online anyway. Um, I found the first episode to be really striking, really powerful, but everything that was established right at the end of the first episode made me think, oh, this is not actually a Star Trek for me. This is this is modern grimdark, grimdark Star Trek, and I'm not terribly into it. But watching the rest of the series, A, that show burns plot like Fringe burned plot. I don't know if you guys uh, kept up with Fringe as it was airing. The first two seasons are kind of a slow burn, then they thought it was going to be cancelled, and they just started telling their story. They started telling their story with reckless abandon, and arcs which would have occupied an entire season of that show formerly or pretty much any other show on network TV at that time were compressed into four episodes, five episodes, six episodes. The whole thing just moved. And Star Trek Discovery absolutely does that. I would say 
that by the standards of regular Star Trek, there are maybe three seasons worth of stories compressed into what 13 episodes it's absolutely astonishing really great characters really fantastic performances the show looks amazing i think the show looks better than the jj abrams movies i have to say i think that it it feels absolutely of a piece with established star trek continuity though its place in the continuity is a little interesting and mutable and flexible and and engaging and delicious for those of us who care about such nerdy things um it, it does really interesting things, really provocative things. It manages to play with some fan-beloved elements of the Star Trek fiction, of the Star Trek lore, in ways which are more thoughtful and more authentic than I expected them to be. There is a big reveal before we launch into the final arc of the season, which I'm not going to spoil. It, it's basically a... a two-word descriptor associated with the events and the circumstances and, and specifically the setting of the last arc of this first season of Star Trek Discovery. As we went into that, my head was in my hands and I thought, oh, this is, this, this show has already, like eight episodes in or whatever, has already jumped the shark. This is a bad idea, but it's not. It's actually a really very good idea because we managed to anchor it with a great sense of, of intentionality and a great sense of authenticity. We managed to do things in that season which are striking and surprising. I think the real thing that that elevates Star Trek Discovery, though, is the quality of the ensemble cast. I would say that it hasn't been since since Deep Space Nine, really, that we've had a uh, a Star Trek cast of this caliber. And many people I know would would go back further and would say, no, actually, it's Next Gen. Next Gen set the uh, set the standard for the ensemble cast um, in a Star Trek show. I really love the ensemble cast in Deep Space Nine. I get that it's very different, and there are certainly don't get me wrong at all. Right, there are elements of the ensemble in Voyager that I love, and I actually am more of a fan of Enterprise than most people. I've been thinking a lot about Enterprise because of some unnamed events toward the end of the season of Discovery. In fact, Enterprise is apparently 100% canon in the Star Trek Discovery universe, which is really great and really exciting. I think that it might be time for me to go back to Enterprise and do a little Enterprise rewatch, but uh, I do think that I'm going to produce... I do think I'm going to produce a podcast on Star Trek Discovery. I don't know exactly when. It may have to wait until the summer when I have a little more free time. Um, maybe if, if some things open up in my schedule, I'll be able to put together a... What, what I'd like to do, and you guys can tell me what you think of this. Uh, what I'd like to do is do a lecture-based series on Star Trek Discovery episode by episode. Not so much episode breakdowns, but more in the spirit of story and Star Wars, right? More kind of cutting through the show itself to get to the heart. Because I think that... Star Trek Discovery is a show with a really good heart. And that hasn't always been true of Star Trek in its latter years, and certainly hasn't been true, I think, of the the way in which Star Trek has kind of been, been distributed out through the pop culture, but is true of Gene Roddenberry's vision, is true of the things that we love most about next gen when it is being realized in its fullest measure and ds9 when it is being challenged in its fullest measure i think that there's a lot there to love and the fact that it's a 13 episode series means that i can i can move pretty quickly through it so watch out for something star trek related coming pretty soon and that of course is going to have a lot of callbacks and references out to the broader star trek uh continuity too let me see here uh as i try and catch up
Um, oh, Jen is saying, I'm usually working when this week goes up. Is there a feed we can download to listen to later? Jen, perhaps you missed the beginning of, of uh, this week's session. But yes, there is going to be, starting next week, a podcast version of This Week on Point North available in your podcatcher of choice. Stay tuned for links on that. It's going to be available through iTunes, available through all the usual places. And uh, I'm going to be a little more uh, assiduous about putting these videos up on YouTube, too, so that they're more freely available. Um, I always thought of This Week on Point, uh, this week on point North as being a just a little extra thing. Basically, I sit down every Monday morning and I formalize the schedule and I set up all the Crowdcast events and I send out the newsletter and I put up the blog post on Point North and then I think, well, I could just do like a 15, 20-minute live thing where I talk about it, right? That seems like that would be a fun thing to do and a chance to engage with you all right here on a Monday morning, kind of begin our week right with a cup of coffee and, and get ready to do the thing. But many of you want to listen to this after the fact. So yes, we will we will make that available. It will all work out. Um, let me see here as I'm catching up. Gosh, I'm already out of time. Can you believe that? There we go. Uh, we're talking about Jane Eyre. Gosh. Uh... Why are we talking about Jane? Becca, are you asking me about Jane Eyre? Oh, no. Sereno uh, de Bergerac is saying, I have a stack of books awaiting reading Master and Commander. Very highly regarded Jane Eyre. And then there were none, but I'm up for suggestions. Oh, that's just lovely. Oh, and Angela's saying that she just watched Outlander season three years <laughs> and swore at Frank 20 times in the first episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, mm. I'll talk about Outlander season three at some point too. I do want to, I've been kind of kicking around this idea and I may have spoken about this idea before, uh, possibly here on the, uh, on the This Week on Point North streams or perhaps on the old uh, Point North Patreon exclusive Q&A sessions that we used to do. But I do have this great idea of maybe once every six months kind of suspending the usual production schedule here at Point North, kind of putting the, the regular shows that I do on a skip week and just putting out a show every day talking about something else, kind of taking that hack week mentality where I can do different things in different forms and maybe do some fiction and maybe take that opportunity to catch up with Outlander season three and talk a little bit about that or to, to catch up with, with a reboot of something that I've discussed before or a, a reinvention of something or just to take the opportunity to talk about something that I wouldn't ordinarily get the chance to talk about within the structure of the regular shows. I think that would be really fun. And I'm kind of feeling, feeling like we're warming up to something like that. So maybe maybe sometime in the month of April, probably toward the end of the month of April, we'll uh, we'll take a skip week here at uh, Point North Media. I'll suspend DMP and there and back again for a week and instead do some, some other kind of one-shot style shows where I'm just catching up with other things. I think that might be really fun too. And also I want to vary up the the kind of production format, I suppose, both DMP and there and back again have, I think, work really beautifully with this kind of collaborative seminar-based format, but I miss doing lectures. I miss doing like scripted shows and I miss having the opportunity to work on that and, and speaking a little less extemporaneously and a little more carefully about the material. So that would be a nice opportunity to do that kind of thing too. Hey, speaking of which, The Last Jedi Story and Star Wars coming soon. Yes, yes. Um, uh, Angela's clarifying here too. I do love the actor who plays Frank uh, and Blackjack Randall. He's very good to buy us. Manzies, of course, the, the inestimable Tobias Manzies is just really very lovely indeed. Yeah. Actually, while I'm throwing out other recommendations, uh, I just rewatched the 1996 Trevor Nunn adaptation of Twelfth Night, which is just lovely. I love that very much. That is my favorite performance by Helena Bonham Carter in any movie ever. I think she is terrific as Olivia. She's just great. Toby Stevens playing Duke Orsino. Uh, Toby Stevens does very well with the material. I, I think that Duke Orsino is like a bad part. I think it's a tough part to, to perform. I think that um, he is a character, who, and this is, of course, part of the, the warp and the weft of Twelfth Night, right? He is a character who is lying to the audience. He is lying to himself. He is lying to the people around him. He is, is inauthentic for much of the story, and that makes delivering an authentic performance that doesn't seem... 
somewhat simple-minded or somewhat disingenuous, I suppose. Very, very difficult indeed. Toby Stevens does beautifully with the the more careful and, and intricate moments in, in Twelfth Night. He fumbles a little bit with the bigger moments, but that's because all actors fumble a bit with the bigger moments. I have yet to see a definitive Duke Corsino. I have yet to see someone really elevate that role, and I'm just not sure that there's enough material there for it to be elevated, I should say. Uh, Imogen Stubbs plays Viola and is fantastic. We get uh, Mel Smith. We get uh, Richard E. Grant in a lovely role. We get Imelda Staunton, uh, Dolores Umbridge herself, in a fantastic role. There's a lot to love. Oh, and uh, um, Nathaniel Hawthorne playing uh, Malvolio is just utterly lovely. Oh, and Ben, uh, ben Kingsley as, as Fasty as well. It, it's a great cast. That's the 1996 Trevor Nunn adaptation of Twelfth Night. Uh, it's it's very very good. I highly recommend it. Definitely go uh, definitely go check it out. Yeah. Um, oh, Red Five saying I haven't started Outlander yet. Where can I watch it? It is still all available through Stars. The uh, DVD and Blu-ray sets are actually rather lovely. So if you're inclined to purchase physical media for your library at home, then I can recommend those. And those go on pretty deep discount sales and Amazon pretty often. So if you're conscious about the uh, the budgetary investment there in, in Outlander, or if you, you know, probably I would recommend watching the first few episodes on Stars at least before you commit to it. I would say that the first half season of Outlander is among the more extraordinary pieces of television that I have ever seen in my life. I think the first seven episodes of Outlander really don't put a foot wrong. I think it's it's just... It's knockout television. The show does have problems, many of which are inherited from the original books later in the run, but it is still, in terms of its production, in terms of its performances, in terms of the score and the music arrangements for, for this show, it is it is peak prestige TV. It's really very, very good indeed. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, I think that is going to do it. Let me, uh, oh, Karen say one of the best festies ever. Yes, Ben Kingsley. What Ben Kingsley does with that role is extraordinary. It's just fantastic to take Festi, who is uh, a character who is so often diminished into being a simple jester, who is diminished into being a simple fool and making him this worldly, fascinating kind of, of, cryptic almost like a like a like a guru figure at the heart of that story that is such a great choice and the performance is pure and brilliant when he is singing in the kitchen for the uh for the benefit of sir toby belch and for mary it's it's uh for mariah excuse me it's 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 extraordinary. It's such a beautiful scene. It's incredibly good as an adaptation. Not my favorite adaptation. My favorite Shakespeare adaptation, of course, remains the Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, uh, Much Ado About Nothing for comedy, I suppose. And then my favorite uh, dramatic adaptation of Shakespeare is the Kenneth Branagh Othello with Lawrence Fishburne, which is extraordinary. I'm, that's actually the next on my list. I've been going through some Shakespeare lately. I've been feeling Shakespeare again, pretty much after watching uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream as a part of the uh, the Between Worlds Fairy and Fantasy class. After watching that, I was just reminded of how much I love Shakespeare. And uh, I've been working through my favorite adaptations and kind of coming back through them all again. And uh, and yeah, the, the Kenneth Branagh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, Othello is next on the list. So I get to go and watch some Iago, being Iago, Iagoing it up, just being maybe the best villain in all of fiction. Like, I know that's a bold claim, but maybe the best fiction, uh, the best villain in all of fiction. Iago is is chef kiss. He's so good. And Kenneth Branagh manages to nail that performance too. Uh, I get chills just thinking about it. It's very, very good. So maybe when I watch that, we'll talk about it a little bit too. Yes. All right, guys. I think that is where we are for today here. Um, 
<laughs> Sorana de Bergerac talking about the uh, talking about the brilliant uh, music accompanying the Outlander series is quoting Bear McCreary here. I hadn't heard this before, but this is lovely. As Bear McCreary wrote, says Serrano, I got to fulfill a dream of mine by unironically scoring a sex scene with bagpipes. That's that's new game plus right there. That's 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 setting yourself a high bar. That's setting a high challenge and then rising to meet it. The music in Outlander is unimpeachably brilliant. I don't think that Bear McCreary has ever done better work and he has done fantastic work pretty much wall to wall throughout his career. I don't think he's ever even come close to touching the music that he does for Outlander. What he can do with a simple flourish, with a simple leitmotif, the way that they change the arrangement of the opening song, the, the, the title sequence every season is, uh, I cannot say enough good things about Bear McCreary's work in general, but Outlander is absolutely the pinnacle of his musical work. It's just, just brilliant. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it. Oh, Valerie's saying that she's uh, watching Black Sails along with the Common Room Radio podcast, Fathoms Deep. Yes, uh, Black Sails also exceptional prestige television, right? This is why we go to stars between Outlander and Black Sails and American Gods, the first season of American Gods. I am. Oh, much less hopeful about the second season of American Gods, let me tell you. Like, my my expectations of that season are wildly diminished at this point, but we shall see as we get a little closer, mostly to do with the changing of the showrunners there and behind-the-scenes misadventures. Basically, American Gods didn't do what Stars wanted it to do. They thought it was going to be a... a a blockbuster hit of significant momentum that they thought that it was going to be one of these things that elevated the entire network, and it resolutely failed to do that. It is of inconsistent quality, I would argue, American Gods. I think there are things to really love about it, and there are things... I would put American Gods below Outlander, which I would put below Black Sails in terms of the, the star's original TV output, but that is not to say that it isn't well worth your time to, to plow through that season of television. It's fascinating in many, many ways. And who could have expected that in 2017 we were going to get a genuinely passionate, genuinely narratively progressive adaptation of Neil Gaiman's least filmable work, right? <laughs> That's the thing about American Gods. Much like Bear McCreary scoring a sex scene with bagpipes, adapting American Gods is also New Game Plus. It is also starting from, from the, the most disadvantageous position and still finishing uh, with, with commendations to follow. It's, it's a lovely piece of work, though, yeah, not terribly consistent. All right. Let's, oh, and Ash versus the Evil Dead 2, says Angela, which I haven't even finished watching yet. But yes, I, I'm a big fan of that too. Stars is, is doing some really interesting work. This is the era of original prestige TV, I guess, from these streaming services. And good, good, say I. Let's wrap it up there, guys. I will talk to you all tomorrow night for Dear Mr. Potter. That is Dear Mr. Potter, 48 Truth and Lies, in which we discuss chapters 24 and 25 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Then on Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, there and back again, 56, The King of the Dead. No Thursday show this week, so there and back again is on Friday, and the book club has been moved to Sunday. You can find all of this information, of course, over at Point North Media, pointnorthmedia.com. You can email me, pointnorthmedia at gmail.com, or stop by the forum, which I admit I am very behind on pointofmedia.com slash forum. I will see you all over there. Have a great Monday. Have a great week. I will talk to you all again soon. Take care. Bye all.